it's gotten colder. Yeah. And the bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal for the fire. We can't do the bookkeeping. Yeah, all of our pens have turned to inksicles. Yeah. Our assets are frozen. How would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly... Unemployed! This is my island in the sun. Um, I believe you convinced them once again. <laughs> is this big sire? Is this this Hades costume? Is the stinkiest costume on this friend? <laughs> Babies are often very useless when you need to get things done. Take a puff. Do you fear? Big Bong is a sus individual. I see pride. I see power. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or support us on Patreon by becoming a member of Jerry's Gang at patreon.com slash madness. Uh, Kyle, it's December. Yep. Uh, we've, we finally made it. Uh, it feels like it came very quickly, but also very slowly at the same time. Um, it's not officially winter technically, no, technically. Uh, by calendar definitions, but it's starting to get pretty dang cold. Ah, yeah. Uh, and Northern California here is getting a little nippy. Yeah. On the day that we're recording this, it rained all day here in Oakland and it's just it's feeling wintry it's feeling cold and in the world of Disney there are some characters who thrive in that cold whether it's because they live in it they're born in it or they have a personality in which that coldness comes out and that's what we're talking about this bracket uh we're talking the coldest Disney bitch (laughs) (laughs) um and so I mean, maybe we can kind of define, um, like what being a cold bitch is. Um, it, I, I think it's all the above Kyle. I think, (laughs) I think we have a nice, we have a nice little mixture on this bracket. You know, we have, um, you know, some people who are a little bit, a little bit sassy, um, a little bit rude, you know, um, you know, maybe don't have really an empathetic bone in their body. Um, and some of them are, are literally cold, um, cold bitches. Um, and some of them, honestly, uh, both, uh, (laughs) which is, I really can't wait to talk about those ones. Um, and to find us help the coldest of the cold, the frosty of the Frosties. Uh, we've got a, we've got another two for one, Kyle. We're on a roll with two for ones. Um, and this time we've got a mouse madness veteran alongside a mouse madness newbie. It's, Power, powerhouse Tess back for another one, but she brought first-time guest host Alyssa with us. Uh, Tess and Alyssa, uh, what's up, Tess? Welcome back. Alyssa, welcome to Mouse Madness. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here, guys. Sure. And Okay, so Tess, I mean, we've got, we've got the full rundown from you. We know your story. <laughs> um, Alyssa, give us a little brief kind of insight into your, your Disney fandom. Like, how did, like, how did, how, how did you get to this podcast recording episode right now well how long do we have (laughs) so yeah basically you know i'm actually from michigan i never stepped foot in disneyland until i started working there on the college programs like my first day of work disneyland uh we kind of fell in love with it at that point and um since then you know i've worked on the cruise line for the cruise line on the magic not on the magic on the wonder and on the dream and then most recently, I worked at Disney's Grand Californian Hotel and Spa in the guest services area. 
it's it's been a lot of fun, and I really kind of fell in love with Disney through through working there, which a lot of people do. That's awesome. I feel like so many people, uh, the the physical parks is like these days at least is really kind of their entry into into the world of Disney. I think that's so cool. And hey, maybe our maybe our new old Bob will uh, will go ahead and give that. <laughs> Give that some love. But um, speaking of getting some love, before we get into these cold ass bitches, uh, we got a talk spoonful of sugar. Kyle, what are you, what are you drinking today? Chris, December 1st, baby. Merry Christmas. It is Christmas time. <laughs> the holidays are upon us. I am so excited. I love December. I love the holidays. And with all of that comes my favorite time of year for beer. I had talked about it during the fall episodes. I love me an amber ale. I love me a red ale. But I, there's nothing more that I love during the holidays than Anchor Steam's Christmas New Year special release beers. Uh, they change the recipe every year and they add a, a few different spices. And every single time it is just spot on. It's delicious. It feels like Christmas in a beer. I'm loving it. I'm happy to have it. Uh, so I'm going to be rocking that and probably for the next episode, too, because this month, that's all I'm going to be drinking. Uh, Chris, what do you have? Uh, December is the season of tradition, Kyle. And um, I I got a, a little taste of an old tradition this last weekend. I headed out to Colorado on the old family ski trip. Uh, I was looking like I was looking like goofy, um, goofy ski school out there on the <laughs> ski slopes. <laughs> But we uh, we we grabbed dinner at our our favorite spot in Vail, Colorado, the Red Lion, uh, which is like one of the only divey type establishments in all of Vail, Colorado. But it's amazing, um, and there's a very famous Bowersox family story where my aunt um, was asking where her glasses were while they were on, literally like on her face, like she Classic. was wearing them. Um, and she was drinking she was drinking a New Belgian fat tire uh, when she made that comment. Uh, so I went ahead and picked up a little six pack of fat tires. It is a Colorado beer uh, brewed in Fort Collins uh, as well as Asheville, North Carolina. Fun huh. fact, but uh, I needed a beer after today. It was a long day. <laughs> so I was like, I'm not going to mix up anything exciting. I just need that beer. I just yep. need that week to hit me. Um, so that's what I got. Tess and Alyssa, well, what do we got over there? Well, it is Christmas time in my apartment as well. I have my favorite Christmas mug. It's a good mug. You who can't, who are just listening, it's a Mickey Christmas mug that says Merry and Bright on the back. Uh, we got our Christmas tree going in the background. And um, I am sporting a pre-mixed margarita, just traditional lime margarita. So it is green. And um, I'm going to pay homage to a conversation offline that Chris and I had and green I'm going to call this green is for disgust not envy <laughs> because he couldn't remember disgust's name I, so I that's did, what I'm drinking I, I will confess to misidentifying the character from the movie that I don't like uh, um, but, 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 <laughs> but, but I knew exactly what you were talking same. about I, I mean, you know, seven deadly sins, inside out, like personalities. It's all the same thing. But I will, I will go ahead and just apologize to Mindy Kaling specifically because, um, you know, correct the, the so disrespect, rude. the disrespect. Um, so I am drinking wine. Um, nothing in particular. Uh, not no specific wine. Uh, but I feel like everyone on these brackets would drink a glass of wine. Like I see wine with cold hard bitches. Um and I feel like it's just it's pairing right to the thing. 
Sure, they'll give it a they'll give it a nice little swirl in that, <laughs> yeah. that little right. <laughs> the swirl smells like mm. it's everything. Like mm. I want to see Jafar with just like a nice cab and people laugh and that's done. Done. I think I think that's in Aladdin too, right? I think that scene. In Aladdin too. <laughs> 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 All right, we've got ourselves a, some drinks in hand, and let's go ahead and talk about how we got to this bracket of cold bitches uh we had to interview a demographic of course and we let the interns take the take the week off we went ahead and we scoured the internet this time and it's people who left some pretty cold reviews of disney's newest film strange world uh i haven't seen it chris i don't think you've seen it uh but no. the reviews have been less than stellar I think there's a, a sto- there's a you know a combination of many factors that go into that, but uh, I'm gonna think I think I'm gonna wait until uh, that that whole movie hits the Disney Plus and I'll watch it from my couch. But these people that left their reviews they were they were pretty cold, so we felt like they would know exactly who we needed to put on this bracket of sixteen. I I don't think I've seen a single positive comment about strange world and and i follow a couple like fan poster accounts like yeah. just accounts that make m- movie posters for fun and generally when like a disney or pixar movie is released like there's some fan involvement in, in making fan art but i just dead silent <laughs> oh no when we're, when we're talking strange world so that's always a big red flag for me yeah i'll catch it on disney plus i guess i'm um, Tess and Alyssa, did you guys uh, check out strange world I kept forgetting the name of the movie. I just knew Jake Gyllenhaal was in it. <laughs> and all I knew about it. Like, I don't think they marketed it at all or like very poorly. That's all I knew. Sure. The uh, yeah, the old Jake Gyllenhaal forgettable title one two punch. <laughs> yeah, uh, not real. great. Not great. Hey, well, you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll have to give it a watch in December. I'm crossing my fingers for one of those uh, you know, Christmas Eve. Nah, you know, it surprise. Sucks, so might Here's as well a gift watch to you it. all. <laughs> Strange world yeah. on Disney Plus. But we did get sixteen of the coldest of the cold, but that didn't mean that some didn't make the dance. Uh, Chris, what are a couple of characters that missed the dance for you? Well, uh, I, I really like the, the kind of spread of characters we have on this bracket. We have a lot of villains and we have a lot of heroes and we have a lot of sidekicks. Uh, so it's a nice little spread. I think when I think of someone who's cold, I think evil, but we're talking about a lot of people who aren't necessarily evil. Um, but I got two evil, evil folks that miss the dance. One of them's Yzma. I think the, the way that, uh, the death of Cusco, she just goes ahead and goes right past it yep. in, in like a in like a very public forum uh, <laughs> is a little bit cold. Like given that she is the cause of the death, uh, she just has no remorse uh, whatsoever. She is in a position like a political position. So I think that's uh, a little bit cold. Um, and also, hey, I know he kind of left spooky season in the dust already, but I got to shout out Ramsley the butler. Yeah. Because <laughs> that dude is ice cold. He's also like undead corpse, maybe? Maybe. Uh, so, yeah, he could also be literally cold, um, but the guy uh, clearly like does not empathize with human beings. Uh, he, he's always sneaking up on people. Uh, he talks very monotone, uh, and he's he's very much in on the let's go ahead and poison this person scheme. Uh, so, so the man is cold. The man is very ruthless. So shout out to Yzma. Shout out to Ramsley the butler from the Haunted Mansion movie. Um, Kyle, what are a couple of uh, cold bitches that missed your dance? Uh, first one for me is Frozone. 
He is literally cold. He has sure. powers of ice. Uh, and also just the way that he kind of upholds himself. He he's a he's a cold ass dude. Uh, the scene that comes to mind is when he is they're trying to uh, break into the building next to where the fire is about to happen in in uh, Incredibles one, and the police ask him to freeze, and he's like, "Oh, I know, I know, freeze," <laughs> and then freezes the cops. Like that's a cold ass <laughs> move right there. That literally sure. cold and just uh, cold in execution. And my second one, of course, baby, you can't talk about the cold without talking about Cruella, baby. Cruella is a <laughs> cold ass bitch. She is cold not only uh, physically, you can tell because she's always got that big coat on. Uh, this film takes place in winter. <laughs> she's traveling through the cold all the time. And just her entire existence is cold. She obviously doesn't care about the people that are around her. Uh, she has these henchmen that she could care less about but needs to succeed. And that's just like, that that's cold of you to like have to have these folks bring you up and, and execute your plan for success and you don't care about them. That, that's pretty cold. And oh, by the way, she kills she kills puppies. That is about as cold mm. as you can get right there. So for me, Corella is another one that uh, missed the dance. Tess and Alyssa, any characters that you can think of that missed this dance? Um, I mean, there's so many, right? Like I even researching for this bracket, I was like, how am I going to just define cold, cold bitch differently than a Disney villain? And so I wanted to think outside the box and not just think about villainous characters. Um, so I would say um, every single colonizer in Pocahontas kind of <laughs> cold hearted, bitchy thing to do to colonize um, <laughs> land that isn't yours. So that's not great. Um, speaking of white men, what about the hunter and the fox and the hound? He just wants to kill Todd for no good reason. Yeah, for no reason. Yeah, that's like he lives too. next door. He it's not like he's eating like your crops. Like you, you just live in a shack with a gun. <laughs> that's it. Why do you need to kill the fox? One of my favorite Disney movies is Wreck It Ralph. Yep, hands down one of my favorite. Uh, if that explains anything about my personality. Uh, but Taffeta Moonfudge, the queen of the racers, before Vanellope takes it over, is a cold bitch. Oh, yeah. Doesn't even want to drive with her, doesn't want to do anything. Mm. So, kind of racist. But also a bitch. I'm very cold. That's a great pick. Oh, I love that. I love that. I often forget about that little, like, uh, I compare them to the plastics in Mean Girls. Like, they're the. <laughs> I, I don't know what you I don't know I don't know what you'd call the plastics for sugar they're like the the fondants or, or something fondants. <laughs> all right we've got 16 of the coldest bitches to announce let's go ahead and cue up that dramatic music Chris take us away the ice queen herself clocks in at number one it's Elsa from Frozen Waiting for that paperwork at the number two seed is Roz from Monsters, Inc. A Mother I'd Like to Forget comes in at number three from Cinderella, it's Lady Tremaine. Calling Women Ugly at the number four seed is The Beast from Beauty and the Beast. Flying into the number five spot is Tinkerbell from Peter Pan. Practically perfectly seated at the sixth seed is Mary Poppins from Mary Poppins. Contractually obligated to appear in the number seven spot from The Little Mermaid, it's Ursula. Being the snake that he is at the number eight seed is Jafar from Aladdin. It's not your birthday, but I guess you can cry if you want to. 
Coming in at number nine from Sleeping Beauty, it's Maleficent. Acting pretty uninterested at the number 10 seed is Meg from Hercules. It ain't easy being green for the number 11 seed from Inside Out, it's Disgust. Dapping up his seal friend at the number 12 seed is Captain Nemo from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Shake your moneymaker, cause the number 13 seed is Scrooge from The Muppet Christmas Carol. Blowing whistles at the 14 seed is Herb Brooks from Miracle. The biggest hater in Disney history comes in at number 15 from Saving Mr. Banks. It's P.L. Travers. And trying to get to Buckingham Palace at the number 16 seed is Yoel Brenner from Cool Runnings. Uh, Tess and Alyssa, we have 16 of the coldest of the cold here. Any matchups that you're looking forward to breaking down here in the first round? I'm just looking forward to hearing what commentary you guys have. I think I I think I'm gonna be I mean I'm always arguing. I think I want to kinda hear about the differences between being a cold bitch when some of these are just people are just petty bitches. Mm. So I think we kinda have to really hone in on who's actually the cold hearted bitch and who's who's just being petty. And and who has good a good ethical moral reason to do whatever it is they're doing and they're not even a bitch at all. Oh. Wow. Has an ethical reasoning? You think right. there's some people on here that should not be on here, but it's fine. <laughs> I wanna see where Tinkerbell ends up because she is a cold <laughs> She's also very petty, but yeah, I am very interested in the thing where she lands. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive right into it. Kyle, I'll go ahead and start things off with uh, my girl from yeah. my film, uh, Elsa with the number one seed. I mean, you all know Elsa. And I kind of I kind of remarked this earlier when we were talking about Miss the Dance Seeds and, and stuff, but there's some, there's some good guy characters on here. And, like, obviously Elsa is one of those. I mean, a lot of people, I think, would consider Elsa to be the hero or one of the heroes of the Frozen franchise, specifically Frozen 2. I mean, she goes on kind of like her her Marvel adventure of sorts where she goes out to save the day. I mean, I, I guess you could say the first movie is about Anna saving the day, but Elsa uh, definitely takes things over uh, in Frozen 2. Um, and, and so when I am thinking about kind of the question of like, what is a cold bitch? Um, I, I primarily think about someone who like is very, I guess, like closed off emotionally has a wall up emotionally and Elsa, like literally that's her origin story, right? Like it starts, the movie starts with, do you want to build a snowman? And obviously wasn't her decision, but Elsa is hidden behind this door. Uh, As a little child, uh, she grows up behind a door and Anna grows up uh, in this beautiful castle. And so Elsa kind of also, and she's indoors too. Uh, So, Elsa starts off with this kind of like wound. And I think that that is at the heart of a lot of cold bitches. Hmm. Uh, It's some type of defense mechanism for something that is, that is hurting inside of them. After that, I mean, everyone, everyone kind of knows Elsa, right? She, she's got her story (laughs) and you know, the movie's about like thawing the frozen heart, right? So, uh, she goes and does her thing. 
Um, Yul Brenner is the one I really want to talk about because you know I love to talk about Cool Runnings. Yeah. Uh, Kyle, I know Cool Runnings is definitely not your favorite movie. No. Um, but uh, but the man is the man is cold. Uh, we meet Yul Brenner at the Olympic trials. Uh, Darius is running uh, his track meet to try to make the Summer Olympics, and uh, he looks over and sees this man trying to psych himself up for the race. And he, I mean, he is going all in. He's smacking his bald head <laughs> he's yelling uh, he's doing some like really intense stretches and they're like yo that guy is really into it i mean totally a cold bitch move right like you're, sure. you're in your element you're in your own zone you really have kind of a disregard for what other people think about you yeah and you just go i'm i'm going in my lane i'm strapping in and i'm gonna win this race baby um and that was kind of yule brenner's introduction Obviously, he falls down. He gets tripped up uh, by Junior. Uh, so he does not win the race, and he is so salty about that. <laughs> uh, and and so uh, his next scene is him showing up at that, like, school where, where they're showing the bobsled, like, instructional video. Yeah. Um, and, he, and it takes, like, every ounce uh, of, like, pride. Uh, he, like, he has to swallow every ounce of his own pride to, like, walk into that place and be like, look, man. You trip me up, but I have to do this mm -hmm. and I have to get off this island uh, and I have to succeed. Uh, very, very cold. He definitely, he does not want to sing along nope. to the uh, song that Sanka writes uh, for the Jamaican bobsled team. They try to throw it to him. They say, you and then he's like, no. <laughs> don't you don't you throw that song in my <laughs> I face i don't want that so so junior has to pass back to sanka um i love that little yule runner moment um and then and then they eventually make it to calgary they actually make it to the olympics um and kyle you don't really like this this cold the, the cold stereotype the jamaican guy in the snow oh he's cold haha because he's from jamaica uh yule brenner is is definitely not that character that embodies that kind of cold uh cold stereotype right. so i will give him a little bit of credit for that um and but but dude the dude lays out a russian hockey player <laughs> once that hockey practice starts like of all countries right russian hockey player let's go let's a round of applause for yule brenner in this yeah. moment <laughs> Uh, yeah, Yul Brenner was owning Russia before it was popular. <laughs> um, and and like the thing though is that like Yul Brenner has this like uh, this wound too, right? Mm -hmm. we, we see him have this kind of like um, sentimental moment where he reveals that he really wants to live at Buckingham Palace. Uh, he wants to get off the island. He wants to live in a big home. He has bigger dreams. I um, mean, he's kind of willing to do whatever it takes to get there. So. Um, you know, I guess we could say that his wound is just, uh, I don't know, uh, just, just a difficult, uh, being in a difficult place in his life and, and kind of wanting to improve things. So I like that about him. And of course, like the highlight moment of Yule Brenner is when he does that pump up speech with junior, uh, right. when, the, when the West, when the West German team's trying to clown him <laughs> in that country bar and he gets junior <laughs> in front of that mirror and says, uh, you know, you tell him, I see pride, I see power. I see a badass mother who won't take no crap off of nobody. Uh huh. Um, and, and basically like encourages him to just start beating the shit out of people in this <laughs> bar. Like, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty badass, but you know, it's also pretty cold. Like, you know, just, just telling someone you got to take a stand. Sure. I like, I like that a lot. Um, I'm going to do something crazy here. Uh, -oh. <laughs> uh he at goes. the end of the, at the end of the day, 
I think I, I think Ewell Brenner is a colder pitch than Elsa. <laughs> By the end of Frozen Two, Elsa kind of kind of comes out of this like chrysalis where she's very kind of like mm, reborn, and, and she has this warmth about her uh, when she's riding that pony at the end of the second <laughs> movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but but man, Ewell Brenner, it was born cold, and he's gonna die cold. So I'm gonna go <laughs> ahead and give give it give him the sixteen one upset, Kyle. See, I don't think that Yule's all that cold. I think that his, at maybe towards the beginning, he he gives off this kind of like cold. I'm just doing this for myself. I need to get off this island persona. But like he flips pretty quick, and even that pump up speech that he gives, like that came from a place of warmth. Like if it if he was truly cold, he would have let his homies get their asses beat in that bar. Like he would have left. Like I don't think that he would hype up his teammates to then start that fight with the West German team. I saw that as a, a, a moment of warmth from him, a moment hmm. of camaraderie, not so much the cold kind of shut off person that he may have presented himself at the beginning of the film. And for me, I, I'm going to go with Elsa and I'm going with Elsa because I think that like part of being a cold ass bitch is that you are so self absorbed that you are unaware with with the world around you and the impact that you may have on it and there were so many moments in frozen that if she would have just kind of like snapped out of it she could have quite literally helped the situation but she was so self-absorbed and that comes from trauma that comes from her experience as a kid yes absolutely but that doesn't make you any less cold she's still very very cold she marks anna with her cold ass Mm. hands which gets her locked up in the first place as she mm. she kicks out her own sister when her sister is just there to try and help. Like I feel like rejecting family in that way is one of the colder moves that you can have. And so for that specific reason, Elsa is the colder bitch than Yule, which means a tie break off the top. Let's hear it. I think they both have their moments of warmth. And so I I think I I didn't think I whoever, whoever it was gonna be, I I didn't think that either them I don't think either of them are going to make it far anyway because they both have their redemption moments uh, I also uh, thought the motivational speech Kyle was a moment of warmth like it was just because I was just like cruising through the scenes I wasn't watching the whole movie before this and it was like all this one second he was calling the, the rich boy a that not calling him not acknowledging him as a living thing calling him a that and then all of a sudden he's like pumping up his bro having motivational speech so i mean i i think that that elsa is the bigger bitch because yul brenner isn't one <laughs> yeah. no yeah yeah i can say that. well i was gonna i was gonna pretty much say elsa is the bigger one too um just bigger picture even yul brenner is on a team if he wanted to get off that island so bad and be a cold bitch he would have done track he would have done i say something like a solo sport you know mm. but probably deep down inside he wanted that team he wanted that family where elsa yeah wanted it for some for a while but like she was straight up just pushing her away pushing anna away so i think you'll deep down definitely does not be elsa in the cold bitch category i think elsa also all right, let's move on to the 8-9 matchup here. It's the number 8 Jafar versus the number 9 Maleficent. And this is uh, this is pretty simple for me. I think that taking revenge on a baby is a pretty cold <laughs> move. Uh, I think that Jafar is ultimately just like 
real evil and manipulative. He has some extremely like cold moments in which he obviously doesn't care about the folks around him. Like when, as he hires people to go into the cave of wonders to retrieve things for him and they end up just like getting eat it up every time they go in, like that sort of level of like using pawns to achieve your goal is, is extremely cold, but like there's nothing colder than like holding a grudge and being like, I'm a curse that baby. That's how I'm going to go ahead and get back at everybody is by cursing a baby. And then not even to like kill the baby, but let the family grow up with this baby, love this baby. The, the fairies can take care of this baby. And on its 16th birthday, she's going to fall asleep and she's not going to wake up. And like that type of manipulation of trauma to the family where the, now their daughter's just asleep forever. Like it's one thing if if Aurora got snatched up, taken away, and never saw again. But like they have to they have to live with the sleeping daughter, assume that she's dead the entire time. Like there's just so much more than just killing Aurora that comes with Maleficent's curse. While Jafar is really kind of this villain that's after power. Uh, I don't think that that's a Maleficent move. Maleficent is just like upset she didn't get invited to the party. So I think that Maleficent is the colder bitch in this matchup. I do, yeah. I I think the the bod the Jafar body count is a lot <laughs> higher, and like I do think that he has a greater disregard for human life. Um, and I think like you could make an argument like, what's colder, you know, killing one person in a very torturous kind of way, or right. like just marching them down into that uh, tiger mouth and not really caring if they come out. Um, but. The, the fact that Jafar is a political schemer, I, I really like that element of his character. You know, he's super close to the Sultan. He's very nice to, I mean, I don't know about nice, but you know, <laughs> he, he has like a working relationship uh, with the people in power. Uh, and I think it takes a really cold person to like, to, to be the, the backstabbing type. Sure. Uh, and that's, that's who Jafar is. One really interesting comparison between Jafar and Maleficent is that they both have bird sidekicks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think this is where Jafar loses me. Um, Maleficent's animal sidekick, uh, just such a cold move to have like a, just this raven that is silent um, and, and seems to be very scheming at all times. Uh, and Jafar rolls with this like loud mouth <laughs> parrot that just seems like totally insufferable to be with. Um, it, like I question his, his villainousness. Um, and, and like, I question why uh, he would make this decision to like to hang around uh, Iago. Totally. It's, it's very strange and not super cold uh, to, to like, have a friend who's, who's who you're, you're constantly basically having to forgive. Right. Right. Uh, so, so at least there's that kind of element uh, in Jafar's heart, I guess. So um, I, I think I'm going to agree with you on Maleficent on this one. Um, yeah. Cursing a baby, a pretty, pretty <laughs> ice cold um, Tess and Alyssa. Uh, is, is there anything about Jafar that, that you think may have put him over the top here? No, look, I just want a t-shirt that says curse on the baby. Yeah. <laughs> With I snowflakes all around it. it. Yeah, I curse babies. Yeah, I, curse babies. <laughs> I I mean, I think it's pretty cold to like make someone your like sex servant and just like 
I guess so. I, I don't yeah. know. That, that, that seems pretty cold. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I think Hannah's down below the And especially, yeah, the, the whole, she's playing the long game in a way that's completely above Jafar's long game. Like, she's she playing a long, long game. Jafar just wants the power, like, let's go. But she's putting in that effort, not talking to anyone. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next matchup. It's the, it's number four, The Beast, versus number 13, Scrooge. This is a great... This is actually a really great matchup. Yeah. Um, I guess let's go ahead and... I mean, tis of the season. Let's go hey. ahead and start with, with Scrooge, and right? And specifically, uh, Scrooge... Muppet Scrooge. Yeah, specifically not Jim Carrey Scrooge. Right. Uh, specifically Michael Caine Scrooge uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about here. Kyle, I know that you appreciate Scrooge because this man's life motto is <laughs> fuck them kids. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Uh, when Bob Cratchit comes up and he's like, I gotta go home to tiny team. Scrooge is like, fuck them yep. kids. Bob Cratchit. Don't bring that name up in my <laughs> business. <laughs> The way that we're introduced to Scrooge in the Muppet Christmas Carol is pretty on the nose. Uh, I mean, they sing a song about him. Uh, he, he kind of emerges around the corner from a fog. He's this big, dark, foreboding silhouette. Uh, and, the, and the song goes something like this. When a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone. Mm. It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge. And the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed is the one that we call Scrooge. They say it right there <laughs> in the song. Chills you to the bone. Frozen heart from years of being alone. I just like, like there it is. I mean, the, and it's also like snowing outside too. Uh, so he's, he's kind of double cold. Uh, the guy, obviously, he's a, he's a finance bro. All right. Scrooge is a finance bro. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and he works in this office. I guess he's like a, a, uh, he's like a mortgage a lender, lender, right? Yeah. Not like a loan officer, but yeah, he's like a lend a money lender. Yeah. Um, and he, and it's Christmas Eve and he's out here trying to get eviction notices for Christmas <laughs> day. Um, <laughs> I mean, R slash anti-work needs to get in here because uh, <laughs> these conditions are not great. No. Not to mention the fact that he, like, it's super cold in his uh, little finance office. <laughs> the little, like, the little mice um, <laughs> guys are like... They want one more piece of coal. That's yeah, it. Because That's all they want. And all of their ink is yep. frozen. Well, they their, mm -hmm. their assets are frozen. And what does he say? He says, how would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly unemployed? <laughs> They're like, heat wave. <laughs> They're like, ah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think uh, it, like in the, lead, in the lead up to that moment, he talks about how like uh, it's okay to evict people on Christmas because Christmas is the time where people are spending their mortgage money on frivolities. Right. Ooh. Bars. Ooh, God, so Ice so cold, bars. cold. Oh, also, uh, the Scrooge song calls the man a skinflint. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, yeah, I 
I had to go back and listen to that a couple times because I've never heard the expression skin flint. <laughs> yeah. um, and it made, it made me think of something else. Um, but I guess it's a real word for like a person who's like frugal with money. Huh. Didn't know that. SAT word of the day. Skin yeah, real. flint. Going up against the beast. And I mean, like, this is the beast's whole character, right? And I mean, I guess it's both of their characters, (laughs) but, you know, it's, it's, I do not want to have human relationships at the beginning of the movie. And then at the end, it's, I love you so Uh much. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we can, we can break down the smaller moments. Uh, The beast, uh, he's very, like, shouty. Uh, when we first meet him, you know, he's, he's out here just yelling. He's just yelling at people in a way that is so scary. The, like the fact that he takes Maurice prisoner in the first place is like a big, it's like a big why for me. You know, it's like the dude shows up to the castle and the beast sees a man come to his castle. And his first instinct was like, you you can't leave bro like yeah. Sorry. You picked that. That rose was mine. That rose was mine. And now you're mine. That's what's going to happen right now. Do we, do we think that the beast is bi? Do we think that he like wanted to like fall in love with Maurice and that's why he held him prisoner? Could be. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, why? What else? What other motive is there other than he's grumpy and hasn't said hello to a human in years? He forgot common courtesy. I, 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 th- I think there's enough context clues in in the text for for that to be an interpretation. I'm not gonna lie. You're welcome. Bell shows up. They do this. They do the prisoner swap. All right. Um, yells at her for getting a little bit too close to that flower. Mm-hmm. She didn't even do anything. Like she just kind of like breathed in the general vicinity of the flower, uh, and he just he absolutely flipped out. Um, the guy, I guess he has no chill, which makes him cold. Um, but I think like an important thing to, to remember is like the origin story of the beast. Like he was a prince, Prince Adam, right. Is the name of the, Mm -hmm. of him as a prince. Yeah. And his whole thing is that a witch, uh, came to like his party and, uh, he was like, you're an uggo. You can't come in. You can't come in. Sorry. (laughs) Um, and then she did a little whoosh, tear the rubber mask off of her face. Turns out to be a hottie. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And she's like, "Well, guess what? The jokes you're on gonna you. Ug- you're <laughs> the uggo now, boy. <laughs> Uno reverse. Uh, right. And so then he turns into a beast. She should be on the bracket. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty cold. It is. That's some mind games, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> he, he, this hourglass is ticking. All right. I think the beast has a lot of like warmth deep down in himself too, though, that he shows, uh, in, in kind of like the lead up to this, uh, you know, arc, this beast arc where he, he becomes a loving character at the end of the movie. Um, when specifically when they're like getting ready for dinner and all of the servants are like helping him, um, and they're, they're gassing him up a little bit. Uh, he's, he's like definitely clearly nervous, Uh, for this interaction, which to me makes me think that like, you know, all of this stuff is like a defense mechanism, just kind of like in, in the case of Elsa, right? Um, he, it's like, he wants to believe, but he doesn't want to believe because he doesn't want to be disappointed. Right. Totally. Uh, 
Scrooge goes through this very interesting transformation in in the Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, and he takes a lot of convincing uh, for him to, to kind of get to the point where he's singing uh, his, his Michael Caine song at the end of the movie. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to go with Scrooge. I think just like his coldness is a little bit more like he's like day to day cold. You know, it's like the kind of coldness you'd experience in real life. Like when you go out there, you know, you see people on Twitter talking about how like, Oh, these people should, they should have paid off their student loans instead of buying Starbucks. You know, it's like, all right, Scrooge. (laughs) Sure. Uh, It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's a very real coldness. And I think that's what I like about him. So like, I got another episode y'all. Yeah, I'm going definitely agree with you. I think that the impact that Scrooge has on the financial wellness of the entire town is ice cold. He seems to be affecting not only his workers, the one poor dude who was late on his mortgage uh, payment, and the the little like bunny beggar that shows up to the door that he ends up like, taking <laughs> out. Like, but the entire town can probably be lifted up if our if our homie Scrooge was just a little bit warmer. And you see that like the town is joyful once he comes around on that Christmas day, and so I think that his impact. Uh, and his energy that kind of rubs off into the entire town so much so that they create an entire song about him is a lot colder than the beast kind of putting up this facade to uh, to hide his insecurities. And yes, kidnapping people is a pretty cold move. Like you have to be pretty disassociated from human emotion in order to like take a human captive. But at this point, he's been like a beast for a number of years, right? And he's and so who knows how close to human he even was at that time. It really takes Bell to bring that out of him. So I'm gonna go with Scrooge as well. Uh, Tess and Alyssa, did you were you having uh, Beast the favorite moving on here? No, I thought. 13 was pretty low for Scrooge. I mean, he's he's pretty cold. But I must say, my favorite, my favorite cold-hearted thing that the Beast does, aside from the kidnapping and all that stuff, is the fact that he gets so mad and yells at her, "Fine, you'll starve." Yeah, that's a cool one. Dinner with him, it's like okay, like get over it, consent, please. Yep. <laughs> um, Look, I work in property management, and Scrooge could have held off the eviction notice. I'm just gonna insider look there. Um, he could have held it off, so that was a decision that he made. It's really, and it's also really hard to evict people. He made it look really easy. Yeah. Wow, that's it. That's an incredible insight. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> Tess, I'm surprised you didn't bring up anything from Beauty and the Beast and Chant of Christmas, personally. Oh, I... Well, because he was he was jolly and joyous, to quote the other Christmas movie in this uh, uh, matchup, um, in that movie. He wasn't mean. That was uh, my dear friend, Tim Curry. So but when you said, oh, let's talk about Christmas, I did think you were talking about Beauty and the Beast and Chant of Christmas. I didn't think you were talking about... Um, Scrooge from Muppet Christmas Carol, but it's fine. Of course. It's fine. All right, let's talk about this next matchup. Number five, Tinkerbell versus number 12, Captain Nemo. And Chris, I'm going to need your help a little bit with Captain Nemo and and bringing out some of the coldness of him because I only really remember one part of uh, 20,000 Leagues in which I can be like, yeah, that that was a cold move. And it's when uh, the Nautilus 
comes upon that like penal colony and they're trying they're about to like get off and he rams the nautilus into the ship and blows it up and kills everybody on board of it and he's like i saved them i saved they're in a better place now instead of the war they would have had to gone to and it's like whoa playing god a little bit here huh like it's a little (laughs) it's a little harsh it's a little cold it's a little icy and he feels just like this kind of cold weathered captain that has been wronged and is now going to force his depression on everybody else in this ship and so i feel like that's all i can really remember of captain nemo as far as how cold he is but maybe you can help kind of jog my memory here ramming boats with his boat is his favorite pastime. (laughs) like (laughs) that is captain nemo's number one activity it's like ocean books and flooring it and fucking up other boats um captain captain nemo like he's a he's a boat captain but even more than that he's a submarine captain right and so like someone who intentionally chooses a life at sea i think really wants that sense of kind of like independence um that sense of freedom being isolated from the normal world and a submarine takes that just one step a little bit farther it's like not only do i want to be at sea i want to be underneath it uh, so that no one can see me Uh, and so like that element i think really kind of speaks to all of the other things that we know about his character um he, he he is like a cult leader of sorts he has this crew that that is aboard the nautilus and they have this very um militaristic loyalty to him uh the the main characters of our uh, movie professor aranax uh, and and Ned Land and, and the other dude, I can't remember his name, they come up on the Nautilus and they see them doing this like underwater funeral thing. Right. Um, which like in on one sense, it's like, wow, that's really nice that they're like honoring their crewmate. But it, it's performed in this way that is very like um, procedural. Um, and it seems to be like, you know, <laughs> a quote I, I liked. It's like... Um, bury the boy you know it's like something that like an old-timey like middle-aged uh, character would yep. do you know it's like just no mercy you know like, totally put him put him in the crate put him <laughs> under put him under the underwater volcano like whatever um there's even a moment where like uh in in kind of the final battle where it's another instance where like they come up on this military base type thing and they're trying to foil this like grand um operation uh captain nemo is wounded in battle and he decides that like he's going to die a sailor's death and he's like i'm going to take this submarine down as far as it can go baby like this is the end for me and all of his boys are like we're going with you yep let's go and so to to have that kind of effect on other people like very very interesting um there are a few other like little moments in the movie that i can talk about but like in a nutshell uh all you really need to know about captain nemo is that he's he's this pretty like military leader like personality aboard a submarine and i think with that kind of military mindset you kind of lose that human empathy aspect and that ultimately turns you cold by default. Uh, And so to even just like have to captain and captain the ship that you're using as kind of like this de facto war vessel is pretty cold. 
<laughs> you really have no regard for anybody on board your ship, let alone anything else that you're ramming the submarine into. So he is a very, very cold character. And he's up against Tinkerbell, who is like, this is where we get to that like petty queen energy and like how how petty is cold and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's really difficult. But I think that like in its purest form, uh, the the pettiness of Tinkerbell is extremely cold uh, because it's almost to a point she she gets there but to a point it's harmless and then it's not so harmless then she's like trying to kill people towards the the middle of the film but like <laughs> to start it's this jealousy and here's that that aspect of coldness where you're kind of wrapped up in yourself is that she is so concerned with like her place in Peter's life, whether that's this kind of like she has a crush on Peter, whether this is that she feels like their companionship is being uh, uh, broken because now this new player has entered the game. Uh, regardless, she has this brooding and burning jealousy uh, about Wendy. And so she's going to do everything she can to make Wendy feel not welcome. And I think like that aspect of of the human connection to make somebody feel unwelcome. It's just so cold because the other person just wants to fit in, just wants to be somebody that is liked. And Tinkerbell is not giving Wendy really the chance for their connection. Obviously there's something with her and Peter, but not so much with Tinkerbell. Uh, I love like the, the idea of Tinkerbell when, when Peter's like, Hey, go get them, go get them to safety, go get them to, to land. And Tinkerbell is racing her ass off to, to lose Wendy behind her. That thought is just like, just like the brattiest, like coldest kid on the playground that is like leaving their friend in the dust for no reason at all. Like that is just such an immature and, and cold move by Tinkerbell, let alone getting down there, waking up the lost boys and being like, there's a bird up there. You should go shoot it real quick. And they come out with all of their little <laughs> slingshots and they're trying to shoot down Wendy. Like, Tinkerbell is she's calculated and there's something cold about being calculated like Tinkerbell is. And it's all with it's all with herself gaining. Uh, she's not doing it for anybody else. Like Wendy's not hurting anybody. Wendy's not doing anything wrong. It's to better position herself so much so that she's willing to sell out all of the homies so that Captain Hook knows where where Peter is and in turn where Wendy is. And like if you're willing to to put your friends on the the chopping block all because of one person like that, that's a pretty cold move right there. So you have this kind of like intent to kill in Tinkerbell, which she doesn't ultimately succeed at. And you have the the cold army captain in the submarine trying to live secluded, but also taking revenge on this life that has changed him forever in Captain Nemo. And so it's really tough. What kind of cold do you want to go? And I think that I'm going to go petty cold here. I think I'm going to go Tinkerbell hmm. uh, because I think that her drawn out coldness and just general make icing Wendy out of every situation, every interaction, that's really uncomfortable for Wendy and really uh, frustrating. And I think that drawn out aspect is a little bit colder than like the brutality that is killing like i think there's there's something that is cowardly with the killing aspect of a villain when you're up against somebody who's just like straight up cold like tinkerbell so i'm gonna go with the five seed so to round out kind of the couple of other things uh about captain nemo 
other than I guess the fact that he rigs up an electrical field to um, <laughs> electrocute all of the island natives <laughs> that try to board his ship. Yeah. He does this like test where these three men have boarded his super secret submarine. I guess it must not have been that secret if three random dudes could just hop aboard it. But uh, he performs this test on them to try and determine whether or not he should let them like stay on his submarine as I guess, I don't know, prisoners of sorts or wards or whatever you want to call it. But uh-huh. he makes all three of these dudes stand like on the top deck of the submarine oh, and, right. then, and then submerges it. Uh, and and tries to see what they do as like some kind of social experiment. And uh, the two guys start like swimming to safety and Professor Aranax like holds on to the boat. And I don't really, I think, understand what he was looking for, <laughs> but um, maybe it was like if he was going to go down with the ship or not. But uh, he, I, Captain Nemo really respected that, that yeah. uh, move by Professor Aranax. So the fact that he was basically willing to play roulette with these three guys lives, mm. uh, very cold and, and in a, and in a way that's very, um, you know, Maleficent like where it's like, he's, he, it's a game to him. You know, right. it's like if he okay. could, if he wanted to kill them, he could have killed them, but he, he wanted to do it in a way that was like gratifying to himself. Uh, very, very, very cold. Um, and then, kind of the one other thing I wanted to kind of call out and like, while I've kind of described him as this military guy, ultimately he's a science guy. Um, and that's why our hero professor Aranax is aboard the Nautilus and chooses to stay there is because it is this, this beautiful, uh, contraption, this engineering Marvel that has been created by Captain Nemo and aboard it is, is these so many scientific discoveries and secrets. Um, and I think when I think about someone who's cold, you know, I think about someone who is is heartless, and I think you could make the argument that mm. you know the head and the heart are opposite, and the head represents science, and the heart represents love. Um, at least it, it, we're going to simplify it for you know a Disney audience. I think that's how you <laughs> kind of boil it down. I think I'm going to go with Captain Nemo. I think I just really like the way that, like, yes, he's a villain of sorts, but he's he's almost kind of like a, an anti-hero too because at some point you really kind of get lulled into the coldness and the enigma that is Captain Nemo's brain uh, in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Very, very interesting uh, movie, interesting work of literature, and, and I would like to see Scrooge and Nemo go up uh, in the literary <laughs> matchup in the next round. So I'm going to advance Nemo. So we've got another tie break going to Tess and Alyssa. <laughs> I feel like with Captain Nemo, he's he, like you say, he's a military guy, and I think being a military person, you see anyone else who's you know within your rank or within your same branch of the military, so Navy, um, you kind of see that as a brotherhood. And even though he's cold and a bitch, I don't think he's a cold bitch. Tinkerbell <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, would. Because, like, right when you're part of the military, you kind of have this this goal for the greater good or just for an actual purpose. Yeah. Um, that's not necessarily for yourself. Um, with Tinkerbell, like you said, it's all for her. She's doing all, making all these decisions based on her advancement or what she wants. And she would let all of the Lost Boys die for Peter. And I think that's super cool. I, I would say mass murdering an entire ship is pretty cold, but I also have a long 
long history of disliking Tinkerbell yeah. and the over mass marketing of her bitchy self. I've always hated that and how much people loved Tinkerbell sweatshirts in the 90s. I'm she just like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I have a story that we'll talk about next time. But fine, Tinkerbell, sure. <laughs> All right. Tess folds uh, and Tinkerbell moves on to the next round. All right, let's hop over to the other side of the bracket, y'all. We've got the number two seed Roz from Monsters, Inc. versus number 15 P.L. Travers from Saving Mr. Banks. Uh, I feel like we've never once talked about Roz on the whole history of this podcast. I don't think so. <laughs> like not even one time. Why not? She come up. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. but I don't know. Yeah. Just she just has coincidence, I guess. Yeah. Um, she is another example of just one of those real day to day sources of coldness uh, in anyone's life. Uh, and that manifests <laughs> in Monsters Inc. as being cold about filing paperwork. Anytime Mike Wazowski walks by her desk, she says, you forgot to file your paperwork last night. Um, and, uh, it, you know, she's really the thorn in the side of, of our hero or our sidekick uh, in that way. Uh, she doesn't really care about Mike's, um, you know, sense of humor. She doesn't care about his personal life. He's trying to go on dates and stuff. Uh, she's real rigid, you know, and yeah. like she's she's got a job to do and she doesn't care what anyone else is doing. It's got to get done. Uh, and to me, like, yeah, that's, I guess that's being responsible in, in some ways, but, uh, it's also, you know, being kind of cold. You, you lack some empathy when you disregard, um, people's work-life balance. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. Uh, she also, she, she has this quote where she says, I'm always watching you Wazowski. Um, and so it makes me think that like, there's this cat and mouse game going on, uh, <laughs> Between between Mike and Roz, where like, is she like this with everybody, or is this just a thing for this one guy that she's got it out for? Yeah, I think it's that part. I think she's just tired of Mike impeding her ability to do her job. I don't think she's even cold. I think that she's just trying to get her job done so that she can leave at the end of the day. Like she's just tired of Mike's shit. One thing I think she does have one cold move in the movie and it's at the end when it's revealed <laughs> that she's uh, agent one yeah, or whatever from the CPA. Uh, yeah. And she says, we got to send boo back. She's going back through that door. Don't care that you love her. Don't care that you're friends. She's gone. Uh, so I will say that is pretty cold. But again, it's like she's just doing her job at the end of the day. Going up against P.L. Travers, who hates literally everything. everything. <laughs> <laughs> so she hates she hates music. She doesn't yep. want it in Mary Poppins. She no. hates, hates animation. She doesn't, doesn't want those want penguins in Mary Poppins. Get she hates the sun. She literally on one of the limo there, she's like, <laughs> I hate the sun. It's too sunny out here in L.A. <laughs> hate it. She hates pears, chucking pears <laughs> into the pool. She hates stuffed animals. puts puts the Mickey stuffed animal in a closet. Don't want to see him. She, she hates the, Disneyland. Uh, she doesn't want to go. She sees the uh, the Winnie the Pooh uh, stuffed animal and she's like, "Poor AA Milne." Like she just hates everything. Such a great joke. Uh, but last but not least, she hates Paul Giamatti. And you know what? Oh. I can kind of see that one. Can kind of see it. 
he's so endearing in this film though like it, it just makes her even colder because he is so likable and endearing and not the annoying self that he usually is he's very like kind and pleasant he is he's doing that southern california thing you know where he's <laughs> trying to make that honest conversation um and she's just not having it at all yeah um and it, and it gets to the point where like you know, she they're they're making this movie and she keeps going back and forth with Walt and she you know, she keep the Sherman bros, she's calling out these things that she doesn't like. And it eventually gets to the point where it's not even about what she hates anymore. It's just about like get getting Walt. Yes. You know, like she wants to see what she can get away with, and this has become a personal matter for her. Right. Totally. Uh, she says that she she doesn't want the color red in the movie Mary Poppins. Um I hope y'all have seen Saving Mr. Banks or are familiar with it because you probably don't know what we're talking about if you don't. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, she's she's real stubborn and like this this kind of comes down to the petty versus cold question as well. It's like you know, is it personal and she's just trying to get him because she enjoys it, or like does she legitimately um hate all these things? Right. I think. Roz versus PL Travers. Uh, I feel like I'm doing a lot of upsets, but I think I'm going with PL Travers in this matchup. I think Roz is um, a, a Debbie Downer. Um, I think the way that she talks is is cold. I guess she she doesn't have a warm personality. You know, she's she's the opposite of that. Um, but like in as far as actions go, PL Travers just does not want to participate in normal society. And that is like the essence of being cold yeah. and being a cold bitch. So I got, I got Pam moving on. <laughs> Pam. Even when she has a moment of warmth, uh, she ends up turning it cold. Uh, she tells Ralph, who's Paul Giamatti's character. She's like, you're the only American I've ever liked. And he's like, may I ask why? And she's like, no. It's like, all right, <laughs> the doors are open, but they slam back shut in my face. Like I said, Roz is just trying to get her job done. I understand it. When you work with incompetent people, you just want them to do their job so that you can do your job. She just wants to get home to her family where she's probably a lot nicer to than she is to Mike Wazowski. So absolutely, PL Travers. And I'll talk more about her next time. Any issues with that, Tess and Alyssa? Yeah, no, I mean, Roz, Roz is just trying to do her job while moonlighting as an agent, <laughs> and Mike can't even do his goddamn paperwork? Yeah. Like, come on, come on. I think if you took Roz out after work for happy hour and got her slosh, she'd be a blast. We don't know what Roz's home life is, and I think it's pretty fun. That's I don't think nice. she has time for her life. She's a busy lady. Roz? She's yeah, she has two jobs. No, she's undercover. Well, second job. We need that. That's the Disney Plus spinoff we've been needing is Roz at home <laughs> coming to Disney Plus New York. All right. Let's talk about this next matchup. It is the number seven Ursula from Little Mermaid versus the number 10 Meg from Hercules. Uh, this one's an interesting matchup because Meg is this kind of cold, stoic character that uh, Hercules is just completely whipped over uh, and she is not letting him in. She's not letting him into kind of 
through these like guarded doors that she has up around her. And a lot of time you just kind of feel like Meg is there at the beginning to ground Hercules, who's like trained to be this hero. He's going to be this hero. He has to save the damsel in distress. And, and instead Meg's like, I don't need to be saved. Like I can, I can do it myself. I am just fine. Uh, it's later on that you, uh, not even later on, just very quickly soon after you figure, you find out that she's a pawn to the game and she's basically like a prisoner to Hades the entire time. And so it's almost like her coldness is a, a defense mechanism for the person that is after her, right? She's almost mm, trying yeah. to keep Herc away from her to save him like she realizes how pure he is in that first interaction she's like oh man not this kid not th- this can't be the one that hades wants and yep yep, yep that's who hades wants to destroy uh and she she tries to to keep herc away for his own good and so that coldness comes from a place of warmth and of well-being and me and well-meaning uh we see kind of that seep through as as the film goes on and she kind of gives into that warmth, but her, she does, she is pretty cold. She is pretty cold, but I don't think that's necessarily, uh, you, you can be uninterested in somebody and that doesn't make you cold. <laughs> I think that just makes you uninterested. And so even if she wasn't doing that to, to keep her away for his own good, like it, it's, it's a stretch to say that she's a cold bitch for just not wanting the advances of people around her. <laughs> like, like I think that we can go ahead and say that. So uh, her personality is very standoffish. That can be cold, especially as like strangers meet. You don't want that kind of feeling. But uh, I don't know that I can completely commit the cold bitch label to Meg in that in that hmm. moment. Uh, you really can with Ursula. I mean, she's out here snatching souls and she's not even snatching souls and like killing the people that got their souls snatched they just have to live on shelves as these like little shriveled representations of themselves it's not even like she's she's putting them to use other than to fuel her own power but she's also making them kind of sit on the sidelines and watch the entire time also nothing's colder than contract manipulation like, Oof. like nothing's colder than tricking somebody into signing a legally binding document and then being like, well, you sign the paper like that is just so evil and so cold. And you just can't care about that person at all in order to get them to do that, whether it is a contract for their life or it's a contract for the smaller things in our lives. Like that is just a cold, cold move. She also like does not care about her little poopsies even though she thinks she cares about her little poopsies like at the end <laughs> she's sending uh jetson floatsum out to fight her battles and they get murked bro they get murked and she's just like damn all right i guess i gotta get big now she did nuts. you just say jetson and floatsum jetsum and floatsum what's flotsam, jetsam, get flotsam, flotsam flotsam and jetsam Flotsam is an actual thing. And so is Jetsam. Flotsam and Jetsam is like is like sea 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 junk. Great. All right. So I wasn't too far off. Got yeah, one Kyle, why didn't you the, know that? The more you know. Hey, yeah, I, I got half fifty percent on that one. I hate the Little Mermaid. Why would we be watching it again? Uh 
So I think that in the, in this matchup, like I don't see perceive Meg as cold because we get let into her psyche and understand that. Uh, and it, she may be cold to others, but I think it's I think it's not only justified, but I don't even perceive it as really cold. I think that it's the standoffishness is is allowed, and she's not doing it to you know the loved ones around her. She's she's either uninterested or she's a prisoner. <laughs> like, sorry that I don't think that qualifies you as being cold. I'm going to Ursula. I think you're kind of relying too much on the Meg Hercules relationship uh, when you're building your argument because Meg is like a very pessimistic person kind of in general. Uh, I don't think it really has anything to do with Hercules. Obviously, she has the, you know, the backstory, but singing a song like I Won't Say I'm in Love, uh, like that's that's it. Like that's the essence of being cold, like not wanting to feel that emotion. And I've got some, some Meg quotes, uh, from the movie that are just examples of her being, uh, cold and, and withholding at the end of the day. Uh, when she meets Herc, she says, she's talking about how she doesn't like men. She says, they think no means yes and get lost means take me. I'm yours. Like very just pessimistic outlook in general. Uh, I don't know about that. I think that's like a very valid thing. Like she's, she's saying I'm not interested. And this is, this is why I'm not interested. I've had these past interactions. I don't think it's cold. She says he comes on with his big innocent farm boy routine, but I can see right through that in a Peloponnesian minute. Also, uh, she whips, she, she, she whips a hand back and forth. She whips her <laughs> hair in Hercules's face. Okay. Uh, he asks what her name is. He says, Megara, my friends call me Meg. At least they would if I had any friends. Okay. So again, like just doesn't really like people. Um, and the way she says it, you know, if you said like, oh, I, if I had any friends, like that's a sad thing when someone doesn't have friends, but she's very confident in it. Like she sure. is like she takes pride in the fact that she doesn't have friends. Um, and then pain and panic come up as like a like a rabbit and a chipmunk. And she says, oh, how cute. A couple of rodents looking for a theme park. Cold. But she, but she knows who Ice they are. Cold. She's, she, she's, <laughs> dra- she's, she's. This is a, this is her dragging Disneyland. Sure. Okay, and sure. that's that's super cold. Um, and uh, and Phil catches her saying, "When I say I want Wonder Boy's head on a platter, or no, that Hercules." Uh, <laughs> Hades says, "When I say I want Wonder Boy's head on a platter, you say," and she says, "Medium or well done." Mm-hmm. Like they're like, you know, she's kind of in cahoots with Hades a little bit too. So like. I think she's sort of into the idea at one point uh, about kind of like, I don't know, screwing with someone's emotions. I think that's pretty cold. Sure. I don't think I'm sold, but sure. No, but I think that the contract law thing is is a very (laughs) valid point. Like I won't, I won't really make generalizations about lawyers because we have a lawyer in Jerry's gang. So I'm not going (laughs) to say that. Um, But yeah, like the idea that, you can kind of gaslight someone into, into thinking that they knew what they were doing when they didn't like, that's just, that is just not cool. And the fact that she knew that Ariel's voice was like her best feature, man, she was going for the, going for the gold, like right out of the bat there. Uh, it's, it's pretty cold. Here's where I have Ursula going down. It's once she goes that extra mile to transform herself into Vanessa 
that's where she crosses the bridge from cold into petty for me. Like that is such a personal reaction where like, God forbid Ursula should lose one contract. She has to be like, all right, I gotta, I gotta make sure that, uh, I'm batting a thousand here and I get, (laughs) uh, get this voice back. Um, so I really just, I just really don't like that for Ursula. just feels kind of like not confident. Uh, which makes her feel not cold because I think a cold person is a confident person. Um, and that's why I have Megara moving on. Um, it's another upset for me and another tie break for Tess and Alyssa. We need to talk about this. <laughs> she marks one and I'm, I'm nominating to the other side and I don't, I don't know. I don't know, bro. Okay. Susan Egan is my best friend, and Meg can do no wrong. <laughs> Meg is not a bitch. Well, look, okay, so here's the thing. Ursula was probably raised in this horrible environment, right? But Meg decided to play Hercules. She did not decide. Hades. She was held prisoner by Hades. Oh, no, she had a- no, she didn't. <laughs> she was held prisoner. And look, with contracts, no. if you're reading a legally binding contract, you need a lawyer present. <laughs> and I'm sorry if Ariel didn't, you know, if, if Ariel Ariel's didn't think fault. about that. Ariel's fault. Ariel didn't yeah, lawyer Ariel's up. Ariel's <laughs> okay, way to victim, yeah, victim blame. Meg is not a bitch. She has some trauma. She, you know, she just doesn't let people in because of her trauma and she went for the bad boy with Hades and is like well shit now I'm in love with this dude like none of that is bitchy Ursula it's Ursula I am overriding <laughs> she vetoed it it is Ursula well, but there please is. read your contract <laughs> alright uh, they- that's my <laughs> That's great advice. Um, and Mouse Madness podcast says, read your contracts, everybody. Nope. Um, let's, <laughs> move the, let's move on to the next matchup. It's the number three, Lady Tremaine from Cinderella versus number 14, Herb Brooks from Miracle. Just just two titans <laughs> of Disney film uh, right here. Uh, we've got Lady Tremaine that honestly gives me kind of similar vibes to Maleficent where she seems to take a lot of joy in that slow kind of torture, that slow pain um, of her victim. In this case, Cinderella, where she spends her days bossing Cinderella around to do chores in a way that is so sharp, uh, Mm -hmm. so cold clean the dishes, sweep the floors, just just whatever she can think up in her head. She will throw it right at Cinderella um, with just no regard for Cinderella at all. Even though she's technically family, I'm right. not bound by blood, but bound by law, I guess <laughs> um, makes her a very cold person. And she's another character, like another villain that has like a very cold character introduction as well. Uh, Lady Tremaine is just sitting there in that bed and Cinderella <laughs> opens the door and she's just stroking that cat. <laughs> and the cat is evil. The cat is so evil. I mean, we spend so much time with Lucifer in this movie. God damn. I don't want to talk about it again. I love it. Um, but but like a like like a good animal sidekick for a for a very cold villain, you know. Herb Brooks, I mean, this guy is just he's a coach. He's a coach. Yeah. 
and he's a, and he's a hockey coach and he's a hockey coach at a very high level. Like hockey coaches have this this like rage about them that does not exist in any other sport. Yeah, I don't know real. what it is about the I don't know what it is about the game. Maybe it's because it is literally played in a cold facility, but like a a baseball manager like all they do is uh you know sit there and just think in their head and like maybe whisper one thing to their bench coach uh, and yeah. then like raise a ha- raise a hand once in a while when they want a new pitcher um, <laughs> and then talk to the media after the game but uh, but a hockey coach is out there like slapping screaming. guys to get them into the game <laughs> screaming at people yelling at the referees like all game every game like in baseball like you say one thing to the umpire you're out of here <laughs> Uh, verbally abusing the referees is part of the hockey experience. Right. Like that's just baked into the game. Um, and so Herb, like, you know, that's what makes him a good coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, he definitely is not your friend. Uh, and he doesn't, he doesn't want to be, he wants to be the opposite of that. I think the famous scene is obviously him, uh, getting those team USA players to stay late. And just running uh, lines back and forth on that hockey rink and, and having his assistant coach blow that whistle again, again, again. Yeah. Uh, until they finally do the, who do you play for? United States of America. <laughs> it was, it's like a, it's like some type of like prison experiment where he's trying to break right. his players. That's yes. That's um, exactly it's, what it's just I like, Uh it's it's like twisted, man. It's it's so messed up. And every step, every step of the way is just so calculated. He doesn't make a single move in this film that's not with purpose and also de- deceptive. It, it, the entire like point of the test that he gives them is not to test like their knowledge and their IQ. It's to see who is dedicated enough to stick through the three hundred question test. I think I'm going to I'm going to throw it back to something Alyssa said when she was talking about cool runnings and that her Brooks's like eventual end goal is is this like sense of team and this like success and ultimately like this happy moment this feeling of accomplishment and like we see coach Brooks like celebrate after they win. He like runs backstage like behind yeah. a tunnel by himself and does, does like a little silent like yeah. <laughs> Uh, which like which is cold right like he doesn't want others to see like his vulnerability like yes that is cold but and at the end of the day like his motives are sort of pure uh i would say the ends don't justify the means in this situation but the ends are positive ones where like lady tremaine her end goal is just like the a total and complete downfall and implosion of Cinderella as a person. (laughs) Um, And like, I think both of these characters find joy in the suffering, but Lady Tremaine does it in a way that is very, very sinister. So I have her advancing. Dude, but also like, I think there's a, a part of her Brooks that you can say is extremely selfish. Like we, we get to understand in the movie that, there's a lot of motivation for him to kind of prove everyone wrong after he was left off of the Olympic team when he was a player. And so like him winning and it wasn't the celebration moment wasn't even him winning the gold. It was them advancing to the gold medal round, uh, but it was beating the Soviets because here we are again beating the Russians. But he is almost celebrating that he's finally achieved 
an accomplishment that the team that cut him didn't feel like he'd be able to do. So there, there's also this kind of sense of selfishness that can be kind of cold. Like he he forced these players through this mental anguish and mental trauma in order to achieve this thing for him to kind of celebrate for himself. Like, I, I don't know. There's something cold about that. But yeah, Lady Tremaine is trying to break down Cinderella f- physically without touching her and absolutely mentally throughout the entire film. And not only by her hands, but she is going to turn these her daughters on Cinderella in ways that they don't even realize they are being turned on her. I, I'm thinking of the dress scene where Cinderella is like, hey, I did my chores and I got a dress. You said I could go. And Lady Tremaine's like, oh, yeah, I did say that. Man, those are some nice pearls, aren't they, Drizella? Aren't those some nice pearls? And she's like, wait a minute, those are my pearls. And they tear up the dress. Like, that's cold. That is calculated. That is cold. I agree with you. Lady Tremaine is the colder bitch. Uh, Tess and Alyssa, any disagreements? No, no. I, I second everything. Um, I think with Brooks, you know, as a coach, you have to be cold, but he wasn't a bitch. Lady Tremaine is a cold bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the bitch part with, with her, but Lady Tremaine is both, and so I think she's the one, so I agree with you guys. All right, we've reached our final matchup here. It's number six, Mary Poppins, and number eleven, disgust and and not envy, but disgust. And oh, I, I have, I have trouble here. I I don't know that I consider either of these characters cold bitches. I think that there's a part of disgust that is. I mean, it's it's hard to describe disgust because she's literally dis disgust, right? She. Seems very like uppity. She seems a little bit too good for everybody. All of the other feelings in Riley's brain. Uh, she's the coldest part about her. I think are more so her mannerisms. She's kind of walking around with her arms crossed all the time. She she has her arms kind of like up in this very like defensive position or like too good for you position. Uh, but the the problem with Inside Out is that they can't have these characters stick to those exact. Uh, emotions and only speak through those exact emotions because if they did, their plot would move nowhere. And so you get a lot of disgust in what she is being more of the empathetic and more helpful and less like standoffish. And, and that's not cold. I think so that she like works well with her team. And I don't think that is a cold thing. Uh, she is, she's kind of like a, the, the brain bully a little bit, uh, but she's not doing so that really hurts any of the other feelings if that makes sense uh so that I, one's I, don't, I don't know okay i don't know when sadness when sadness starts crying and being a, you know a little bit not about not a cold bitch a little bit um <laughs> and uh disgust moves away and says ew yeah. tears are getting on me or whatever <laughs> yeah. i mean that's yeah. pretty rude that's yeah. pretty cold yeah she's crying is- and you're saying ew I agree. I, I think that she does have she has these kind of like cold moments that play into the bit, but I, she doesn't stay. I don't think she stays cold. Uh, and like I said, I think the th- one constant cold is her mannerisms and her standoffishness, which is really important to being cold. I think like if you are unapproachable, then you are going to be perceived as cold from the start. So she does get that off. And so I will give her points there. And with Mary Poppins, I have an issue because I think that she she falls into the kind of coach realm 
Whereas like all of these moments with Mary Poppins has intent and she understands the outcome and she knows what she's going to get out of it. And she she's cold for the betterment of everyone. Uh, she manipulates Mr. Banks not only to hire her, but to take the kids to the bank. And it's not because she's doing that just to be like cold and, and ruthless, but it's because she's trying to bring this family together. Uh, every move that she makes in this film is is direct which maybe can be perceived as cold uh, but it's not I don't think it's ruthless or I don't think it's in any way damaging uh, and I think that in order to be cold there has to be some sense of damage there has to be and and the kids love her I mean like the kids don't hate her uh, they don't hate her directness she makes things fun like Bert is around all the time and apparently always has been so like she's not cold enough to keep people away an aspect of her being cold is that maybe that she travels alone she operates alone. She comes, does a job and says, peace, and I don't have an emotional attachment to you anymore and I'm out. Uh, so I think that she, I, if I, it's kind of a toss up, but I think that just based on like the essence of disgust and what disgust is supposed to stand for, Tess, your example is fantastic and her mannerisms makes her the colder bitch over Mary Poppins. I think uh, Mary's... Like she just seems to hate fun in a lot of ways. Like she simultaneously she is, about it. She's facilitating the fun, but at the same time is like speaking out against it. Like the best example is the I love to laugh scene, right? Where like Yes, but we she, all hated that scene. She, she just is us. Yeah, but <laughs> she just doesn't she just doesn't want the laughter whatsoever. Sure. Um and it's like I don't know. It's one of those situations where like, this is such a realistic reaction for a very cold person. Like I think of some of the coldest people I know in real life and, and they seem the coldest in a group setting where everyone's joking and everyone's laughing and everyone's having fun. And you can just see them kind of in the corner being there because like they deep down want to be there, but like, they're just not really feeling the vibe. Um, and that's, that's kind of Mary's job is like, she's the fun police. Uh, and so like, I think that makes her extremely cold and like the way that she comes in so hot <laughs> and blows all those other nannies away with that umbrella and goes into that <laughs> job, goes into a job interview and is basically like, you're hiring. So when me. am I starting? Yeah. Hmm? Uh, did you not ask for exactly me? No warts. Plays games all sorts. This is literally me. I'm going upstairs now. Like that's like that's 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 cold in a good way. You know, like like people have been throwing around like cold, like you know, basketball player, like ooh. Kevin Durant, that was ice cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mary Poppins, I think, would be an example of one of those. Who'd be like, damn, that was cold. Um, and I love that about here. I'm, I'm going with Mary Poppins personally. Right. So this, like, I, you guys have been doing some legwork over there, um, but we've got a tie to finish off this episode. I think this gut falls into the the team category, right? Because there's so many different emotions in one human that you have to have some disgust. You have to have some of that coldness to survive. Um, so it's hard to break it down just to that one character when it's such a pivotal part of a team. Um, with Mary Poppins, like, it's almost similar to Raj, where, like, she's just doing her job, but with Mary Poppins, I don't think I could just go get a drink with her after she was done any. 
I think she would still be the fun police and be like, no, we're not drinking. Nah, I think Mary's that secret that secret party girl. When she's off the clock, she's she goes hard. Like I, I would love to get a drink with Mary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, all right. We'll see. We I'll go out with Raj. I was Mary Poppins. We'll see how the nights go. Perfect. Um, but I also think like you know during her time, like if the base kids died like while she was nannying them, I think she was like, okay, next job. Like, I don't think she would feel that bad. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she just kind of does the Irish goodbye and is like, kind of consults with her umbrella bird and then pieces out. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I think what makes her the cold bitch between the two is her lack of emoting. And we could talk about that next round, but I think it's Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins moves on to the round of eight. And uh, we, we did it, everybody. We finally did it. Well, wow. what a what a round one of our coldest bitch bracket. Um, but we got a round of eight that we're going to come back to next week. We've got the number one seed Elsa versus number nine Maleficent. Number 13 Scrooge versus number five Tinkerbell. Number 15 PL Travers versus number seven <laughs> Ursula. And number three Lady Tremaine versus number six Mary Poppins. Another dynamic duo. Y'all, it, it got chippy there for a second. Um, but we, uh, we, appreciate, we appreciate your time breaks and your insights tess and Alyssa. thank you so much for joining us thanks for having us see you next week all right everyone well you know how to reach us if you got something to say about these cold ass bitches if you've got a bracket idea, uh, does it seem like we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here? I don't know. Just just holler at us. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord. All those channels are linked in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash mousemadness and becoming a member of Jerry's gang by joining us at the $5 level. We will catch you in the next one, folks. Come back. Like.